This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Horsin' Around. Saddle up and get ready to have a darn tootin', gallopin' good time as we trot out the show that's your ultimate horse source, of course. Find out how to use good old horse sense when it comes to breeding, feeding, training, and explaining. From practical tips on caring for your horse's health to advice on how to buy horse supplies, including bridles, halters, saddles, and more. So get ready to start horsing around with your host, horse expert and award-winning rider, Audrey Pavia. Howdy, Audrey. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Horsing Around on PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're going to touch on a very timely subject, disaster preparedness for horse owners. As everyone's probably heard, um, horse owners in Louisiana and Mississippi are still recovering from Hurricane Gustav, and now the Gulf Coast is bracing itself for Hurricane Ike. Our guest today, Dr. Becky McConico, faculty veterinarian at the Equine Health Studies Program at the School of Veterinary Medicine at Louisiana State University, is involved in helping horse owners in the affected areas deal with this disaster. Today, we're going to talk to Dr. McConico about the resources available to horse owners in the path of these hurricanes, and we're also going to discuss how you can protect your horse in the case of a disaster. We'll be right back after these messages. Why the long face? I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we are talking to faculty veterinarian Becky McConico with the School of Veterinary Medicine at Louisiana State University. She's also the equine branch director for the Louisiana State Animal Response Team. Dr. McConico, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Sure. I know you've been busy lately dealing with all these hurricanes. Can you tell me, uh, first off, what's going on right now with horse owners in preparation for Hurricane Ike, which is moving toward the Gulf Coast? Um, Well, presently, I think we've all just taken a great big sigh of relief because it looks like we're out of the cone, um, and so it's going to be a Texas-Mexico issue. And so everyone's just now still in the recovery phase of of Gustav, so we've all just taken a big uh, sigh of relief because they were actually going to have to evacuate New Orleans starting today if Ike was still going to head our direction. So that was going to be a very difficult situation. Oh, yeah, because they just went through that and they just got back home and then they'd have to leave again. Yeah, and a lot of them aren't even back home yet. So a lot of oh really, a lot of people oh, wow. from our area are still having yeah lots of shelters set up. Oh wow! So um, tell me what the School of Veterinary Medicine at Louisiana State is doing to help horse owners in the path of 
hurricanes. Now, I, I guess this one's not going to hit you guys directly, but are you expecting any flooding or anything residual from the storm? Um, well, from Gustav, we actually still have some horse barns that are flooded, and we have a lot of clients in our immediate area that have a lot of fence and structural damage uh, from Hurricane Gustav. We had um, 90-plus mile-per-hour winds that took a lot of trees out, took a lot of roofs off barns, a lot of uh, fencing, so horses aren't able to be put out in pastures. There's a lot of debris in the pastures. Um, a lot of our residents, clients, farm, you know, farm uh, owners still have yet to have power in their area, so we, um, we're having a really difficult time with, with that as well. So um, we're having a lot of issues where um, horses standing in water and uh, some cellulitis issues on their distal limbs and, and things such as that. We actually have, have in this last month seen a few encephalitis cases too. So, um, you know, that's, uh, of course, this is the time of year where we see that that may not be due uh, to this particular hurricane uh, season, but it is the time of year that we start seeing that. So it's mm-hmm. really important for horse owners to have their, their uh, animals vaccinated and to be up to date on that. Right. Do you have a number on how many horses are, are affected right now? That's a really good question. Uh, we had probably several thousand horses along the I-10 corridor that we were concerned about, and a lot of those were not, did not end up being in the path of the hurricane. Um, but we had the whole entire center of the state was severely affected by, you know, the winds and the trees going down. So I would say there's several thousand horse owners and associated horses that are dealing with situations, but at this point in time, we don't have anybody that's reporting, um, you know, medical requests or veterinary requests. We did have 12 horses we had to rescue out of a uh, little tributary off the Comet River in East Baton Rouge Parish, which is right here um, close by the vet school. We had a team respond to that, and they, they actually just provided an assist with our animal control group, and those horses were successfully floated out and rescued. Uh, and then they were taken to a shelter. Uh, we didn't really have the need to open a big shelter like they did at Katrina, where they had the, um, the Expo Center in Gonzales, Louisiana, that was you know, had three to 400 horses. We didn't have a situation like that this time because most horse owners were prepared. And uh, rather than evacuating horses after the storm, they, they were able to, to provide for, for themselves uh, with their own local resources. We really have a lot of um, people paying attention to nobody ever wants to revisit the Katrina situation. So I think everyone in the state is, most everyone has learned learned from that. We, we do have several individuals that don't have the resources and, that a lot of people do, and, and they are the ones that every year we know that those are the people that are going to need our help. And we, we, we try to take those as our... Um, special cases and try to help them prepare and provide more assistance with and uh, set up uh, locations for them to evacuate to. What kind of problems did you see with Katrina and uh, I guess, well, Rita hit more of Texas, so you, you dealt mostly with Katrina. Actually, we Rita was pretty devastating for the horse owners in Louisiana. It was um, oh. the, more the southwestern part, even though Texas did. Texas was more the evacuation of uh, from Rita. They had a lot of horses get overheated from the evacuation situation, whereas the, the more agricultural areas of our state are located in the southwestern quadrant of, of the coastal Louisiana, and, 
And those people are used to dealing with, they don't, they don't have the big levee systems down there, and they're used to dealing with um, flooding every year, and they're used to bringing their horses up to the I-10 corridor, and, and then the storm comes in, the floodwaters go down, the storm surge goes down, and then they're, they're able to go back to their homes and repair some fences, and then they're back to it again. So that group um, of folks in our state are probably the most prepared of all. The ones that live um, a little more east that are more the non-rural uh, horse owners in the New Orleans area and south, um, they tend to need more um, more support and more, you know, we need to provide a little more assistance. And, and not all of them. There's some definitely very resourceful people that live down there, too. There's even a an equine a rescue ranch that's down that in that area that um, it's kind of, a I think, an unusual location to to have a rescue ranch for horses, but um, they seem to be able to pull those horses out of there as needed and and then back in after the storms have... have so with Katrina, most of the issues you saw were regarding flooding as far as horses were concerned? Uh, it was uh, structural damage. And yeah, I would say initially the ones that had the wind-associated structural damage, but a lot of those horses were killed, um, but I would say the storm surge took also took out a lot of a lot of animals and uh, then left others, the, the ones that survived the actual storm, then the, when the levees broke and it flooded. So I guess mm-hmm. yeah, the answer would be yes on that. So there were no, um, it doesn't sound like there was much done in the way of advance evacuation or preparation for those horse owners. Well, I think what happened there was once they realized that storm was coming in. It came in so quickly. The evacuation precluded the safe evacuation of the horses. It just took too long to get everybody out and horses mm-hmm. out. So a lot of people turned around and went back home. Right. The horses back. So okay. I know some of the carriage horses that happened to them, the, the group that uh, you probably saw on the news, a uh, couple of mid-city carriages, they had several horses that, and mules that they kept back in, in the French Quarter. And some attendants were there, and after several days, they needed to get those people out of there, and the floods were coming up, and the horses were not, they didn't have food or fresh water, and they mm-hmm. did lose a couple of horses for that. So um, now that we know all, you know, we've learned so much from Katrina, what kind of preparations do people make when they're in the path of a hurricane and they have horses? Um, most of them now have identified evacuation sites, either with family members or friends in the central and northern part of the state. It's really not safe to, to stay in the southern part of the state, even though a lot of them will, will try to hang around that I-10 corridor because they don't want to spend all the money to get them up there and then nothing happened. And then, they, you know, then they've just spent all that money and time and fuel, and so they're willing to take that risk. But I think as the years go on and people have these experiences over and over, they realize they really do need to go further north and they need to get there before the mandatory evacuations. And those usually occur at, um, they call it an H-54, so the hour, uh, the 54th hour before the storm, um, the the tropical force winds hit the coast, um, that's, that's when they call for the mandatory evacuation. So mm-hmm. they try to get the, the animals out before the age 54 hour. Are there any, like, state or government resources for people who may not have a place that they can take their horses? Um, we're tra- there really isn't money set aside by the state. There just aren't resources in our, our governmental entities at the state level for that. Um, and I would say 
that the state response team, the Louisiana State Animal Response Team, is the one that kind of pulls together the the resources that are in the state and and help people in the different regions identify what their local resources are and help them plug into those. Uh, We have regional representatives in every part of our state, and most of them are are, um, equine veterinarians. And so what we did this time, we were able to have a heads up as to where they felt their clients were as far as the evacuation um, was, and and then they reported back to us if they felt like there were going to be needs. And there were some veterinarians over in um, the New Orleans area that let us know about three or four different farms that decided to to stay before Gustav came in. One was a a show horse barn near the Audubon Zoo, and another one was a... um, gentleman that lives along the south shore of Lake Pontchartrain, and, and so we had mapped these out and knew that we needed to check in with those people if that area ended up getting hit, and, and as it turned out, that area was not the area that was hit, it was our immediate area, mm-hmm. and since they were our clients, we, we heard about those fairly quickly, and then as you went further west, um, we checked in with those veterinarians, and, and they were, they didn't... Um, let us know about any needs that they were aware of. Now, not that we know about every single situation, but I think we know the majority of them. As far as like post-storm, because I mean, you've got that evacuation period, and then you've got, and that's mostly uh, client education. I think the, um, the LSU Ag Center has really done a good job, along with state animal response team, and and just the local people realizing they really need to take charge and be responsible. The, um, you know, with the law passing where the state ha- is required to assist the public with evacuation of small animals, it also brings to the forefront, you know, that, that horses are, are considered pets as well. And even though the state doesn't cover horses, it, it brings up an awareness that the horse is part of the family and, and that people are more aware that they have to take the responsibility to get their animals out and that the state isn't going to help the horse owners. There just aren't the resources to do that, but people will take, um, you know, responsibility for their own animals and get most of them out of harm's way. Mm-hmm. So at, at post-storm, well, then you've got during the storm, which not a whole lot is going on at that point other than everybody hunkering down waiting for the storm to pass, and then you start having assessments the next day after that, and then you start seeing, you know, the human responses dealt with, and then the, the post-storm animal response, and you have that could be anywhere from a couple of days after the storm to a week, and Katrina, it ended up like three or four weeks. So um, there are hay and um, there are resources and funds that had been raised from Katrina and all, you know, through the through the years after Katrina up till now uh, to help support the post-storm needs. Mm-hmm. And also to help with education, we've made a lot of little uh, educational booklets and things, and we've um, gone to to different regions and talked to the different horse clubs and uh, the Louisiana Equine Council. We've tried to incorporate what the work, the good work they do, along with you know just basically bringing all the equine entities together. And the the veterinarians seem to be a practical, just common denominator in all of that. And that's you know we kind of use ourselves as a springboard for disseminating that information. Okay, well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Louisiana State Animal Response Team. I'd like to know what they do, and also we're going to kind of educate horse owners out there on how to prepare for disasters. So we'll be right back. Why the long face? (laughs) I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsors. 
Molly, here's your dinner. <coughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we're talking to faculty veterinarian Becky McConico with the School of Veterinary Medicine at Louisiana State University. Dr. McConico, you are also the equine branch director for the Louisiana State Animal Response Team. Can you tell me what the response team does? Um, the response team initially after Katrina was just that a response team. And, and in the years after Katrina, we spent a whole lot of time planning. And I think the reason, the number one reason I stayed involved was I don't want to ever have to deal with a Katrina type situation again. And and I feel like a public education is just uh, so important. And and I've just felt very strongly about that. And I, I think our, um, you know, it's paid off because the response to Gustav, I think people really paid attention and, and got their animals out of harm's way, uh, especially the horses. Um, so we we do that. We also uh, do assessments and participate in that. We work with the Louisiana Department of Ag and Forestry, and they are that's where the state veterinarian's office is. And those, that entity is in charge of animals in a disaster situation in our state. And every state's a little different. And ours, um, you know, different departments uh, handle animal response. And, and in Louisiana, this that's the entity that. Um, works with the emergency support function number 11 or ESF 11. Uh, We've really tried to um, incorporate the national incident management system, the incident command system, and apply that to everything we do because it's just so important when you have a disaster situation so things don't get chaotic and and out of control. We've been able to funnel, um, you know, basically fund funds into things that we specifically need to stockpile in different parts of the state. We have um, a group, the Louisiana Tech folks have a, um, a grant where they have stored some buckets and halters and things to set up an equine shelter. And then we have um, a couple of pods down here in the south and then one in Alexandria area where um, if we need to set up an equine shelter quickly, we can do that. Um, we don't stockpile a whole lot because you just never know. You may go 10 years and then you've just got that stuff sitting there. So we have identified the, the different um, feed and, feed and uh, uh, like co-op agriculture supply locations that are retail in our state and, and make sure that they're aware that they need to have certain things on hand. And they're pretty good about already knowing that ahead of time. Um, we've talked to people about keeping a seven-day supply of feed and hay, not just a three-day supply because things do seem to take 
um, you know, some of these storms have been so devastating that it takes several days, not just a couple days, for recovery. So we, we play a role also in response, and we try to do much more of our work with planning so we won't have such a, a need for response afterward. Mm-hmm. But we do have rescue teams. We work with the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, and they are the ones in charge of human search and rescue. And this, since Katrina now, we, um, we're required to work along with them. So we can't just go out on our own. We have to work through um, the system that's in place. Um, we've been able to, even, even though support from outside entities uh, were very supportive and helpful in Katrina, it all, they're also um, contributed to a lot of chaos and, um, you know, just a lot of people down here that really weren't working within the system that created a lot of problems. Even though in the end it, it all worked out for the for the best for the horses, it did um, cause a lot of problems. So this time mm-hmm. around we were able to let people know that we did have things under control and there was a response that we could handle within the state. And certainly if we needed to ask for outside help, we knew which groups were going to be supportive of that of that, and it would have been through the Department of Ag, Ag and Forestry mm-hmm. in our state through the state animal response team because we are the functional partner, our operational arm of the Department of Ag and Forestry for the animal response for, for all animals, not just horses. Do you know if other states have uh, state animal response teams? Um, several do. Probably the, the, the pioneer is uh, North Carolina, um, and that was after Hurricane Floyd, and they had all the the porcine issue, the pig issue, um, you know, that was a hurricane that took a lot of that agriculture, um, you know, a lot of those, those uh, hog houses were, you know, just devastated and they had a lot of loss of animal life. And they're, they're probably the ones that, uh, that we look to most as a role model for us. Um, Florida has a very strong one. Um, Georgia's getting rolling with one. California, um, I don't think California is actually called a state animal response team, but they are—they have several groups that are um, very cohesive and, and work very well with, as, as you know, with the, the, the wildfire response and things like mm-hmm. that. So, right. probably the least prepared would just be the non-coastal areas of our nation, but they have their issues too with tornadoes and ice and mm-hmm. snow and things like that. So, I think I really think it's the way to go. Every state is so different. Um, but once you really start working with the different entities in your state, you, you know who your players are, you know, um, you know who you can count on every time, and, and it really brings the communities together uh, within, you know, very locally to regionally, and then, it, you know, if they need the state support, um, that's there too. So um, it just seems to have really taken off and, and really grown and really helped us get through this this most recent hurricane season. Right. Now, I'm assuming that you are an expert on disaster preparedness for horses. And I'm thinking, you know, it's probably different whether it's a hurricane or a fire or whatever, but there's got to be a lot of similarities on how horse owners can prepare for a disaster wherever they live. Right. I mean, there's some just basic things about just taking care of your yearly horse health needs. I'm just keeping the horse vaccinated. Um, And the ones we recommend, the the very most important one is tetanus. Um, It's a very preventable disease and and horses are at high risk, especially in a disaster situation. Um, And then the encephalitis is Eastern and Western and West Nile. Those those four are the most important ones to have your horse regularly vaccinated for. And in in our part of the world, um, we need to have, you know, twice a year 
and maybe even three times a year on the eastern, western, and west Nile mm-hmm, Because of the mosquitoes, yeah. Right. Um, dental care, for sure, just, just for overall digestive health, and then regular deworming, just keeping your horse healthy. And then, of course, the yearly Coggins test. It's, it's a law to have it in most mm-hmm. states. Um, and even though they will often waive the requirement for health papers to be shown during an evacuation, a lot of evacuation sites, like boarding facilities, they won't let you come in without a, Coggins, a negative Coggins test. So mm-hmm. even though the state might say, oh, we're, you know, Texas, like this last time, Texas, said we're going to waive the requirement for health certificates coming into the state. But, you know, you tell that to, say, you know, Lazy A Ranch or whatever, and they're not going to let you on their property without a right. negative Coggins. And even though there's the Coggins test you can get, you know, in two or three hours, you've got to find a veterinarian that's approved to do those. And, you know, it may put you on the side of the road, you know, with an empty gas tank with your horse and yeah. hot sun. So that's real important. And then just providing nutrition uh, on a regular basis. So um, then you've got to decide, are you going to evacuate or are you going to stay? So I guess, um, you know, people need to decide that. A lot of people even that live on, there's there are 50 head of horses right now down in uh, south of New Orleans that those horses never get evacuated. And they've withstood a lot. They're, um, but they're, you know, owned by someone that looks after them pretty well and, uh, but they, you know, they choose not to evacuate. And so when you have, you've got to have your plan for that shelter in place. And we do not recommend locking any horse in a stall that's going to be in an area that's going to be prone to, to flooding. And mm-hmm. that's something we saw at Katrina. We saw a lot of barns full of horses that tried to get out. And you you could actually see where they scraped the stall walls trying to get out. And oh, they didn't make it. Yeah. Um, and that we need to keep, you know, the hay for five to seven days. Um, identifying your horse. If you evacuate, you leave your horse behind. You need to talk to your, um, well, every parish, we have parishes down in Louisiana. And, you know, we mm-hmm. have counties in most other locations, other states. But um, your county or your parish office of emergency preparedness, everybody has one of those now. Department of Homeland Security requires that for every state to have their local communities with these offices. And a lot of times it's, it's just the sheriff's office and the animal control officer. That's your; those are your people that run that um, run those. And to, it's important just in your own community just to get in touch with these people and tell them who you are and that you've got X, Y, and Z resources. If you know, you can just basically connect and find out what the animal plan is in your parish or your county. Um, you need to identify your horses. We have a requirement for either a microchip, a lip tattoo, or a brand. So a permanent form of identification for Coggins testing. Um, but that doesn't always help if you don't have a scanner for a microchip or if you can't read the lip tattoo or the brand. It doesn't really tell you who owns that horse. And so during a disaster situation, um, if you're going to leave your horse behind or if your horse is going to get taken to a shelter, um, you, need to, you can use a temporary like a paint stick or you can even spray paint on their side, you know, non-toxic spray paint. They'll stay on for a couple of weeks. And you need to put the owner's name and a contact phone number. And mm-hmm. we recommend using a, a phone number out of state because a lot of times the in-state, you know, like a point of contact in your family out of state. And you could go ahead and use your phone number, but a lot of times for a week to 10 days after Katrina, no, but, or even longer, you couldn't call anybody. Oh, wow. So some sort of point of contact. And then, uh, what about like a halter with ID? Do you recommend that? 
Um, yeah, you can do that as long as the halter stays on. But if they go to a shelter and then they mix halters up and they didn't have a halter mm. on this one, they grab it off of this one and put it on that one. So okay. um, that can help. But really, does, you know, the, there's a company called Tabban, not that I'm doing a promo for them, but we use, <laughs> we use those because they, um, they stay. You can ride on them with any kind of pen. They have a thick, they have the little bitty ones for cats and dogs and they have the bigger ones for horses and cattle. And you can ride on it, and they'll stay for they'll stay a really long time. And you can put it around their um, their ankle. I mean, you don't put it on tight; you put it on loose, but enough to where it um, it's not going to fall off their foot. Or you mm-hmm. can um, put it around their neck. They make long enough ones for that. What about water? Um, I, I'm in California, and you know we have earthquakes here. And one of the things that I'm always concerned about is if we lose our water supply for three days. Well, what what do you do with you know your horses? Well, we recommend keeping water. So, you know, the big blue barrels that they make, you know, people use it for barrel racing or whatever, just big, mm-hmm. you know, the big, uh, the metal barrels as well. Is all day. A lot of times those will rust. But keeping uh, trash cans of water, I know a lot of people um, around here will buy just the cheap plastic trash cans and fill those up with water. Okay. And then how often do you, do you need to change that out every several months or... Well, usually, well, yeah, I guess you would have to because, see, we don't do the earthquake thing down here. So we can can say, you know, when we think we need to change the water, but that's a really good question, and I don't... Yeah, lack of water is not your your problem, I guess. (laughs) Although salt water can be a problem, you know, if they're down on uh, where they're getting salt water mixed with the the pond water or the the Uh brackish water, they call it, so... Right, right. And then also I would think water quality would be an issue, too. Just in terms of, you know, with levees breaking and sewage flooding Mm -hmm. and all that, you can't just water your horse from whatever's around his ankles. Right. And, yeah, that'll cause horses to colic or get diarrhea, which will cause them to colic. And, you know, they can, just like, that's probably one of the more common things we see in small animal and in large animal in disaster situations. They're drinking the water that's not clean. That's definitely a concern. Well, um, I really appreciate all this information you've given us, and I hope it's giving people the impetus to think about this stuff. We have a tendency to not think about it until after it already happens, which is kind of what happened with Katrina, but at least you guys are prepared now, and I'm hoping that everybody listening will think about what the disasters are in their particular area and try to be prepared. I know you can usually go to the website for your vets, whatever vet school is in your state or near your state, and they'll often have emergency preparedness um, instructions on there and how to get your horse ready so that if something happens, you don't get caught in a really bad situation so that's all the time we have for today thank you dr mcconico for being my guest this week if you have any questions or comments about horsing around please email me at audrey at petliferadio.com until next time happy trails stop what you're doing and start horsing around every week on pet life radio Horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin' gallopin' good time every week on Horsin' Around, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.